Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. <laughs> Welcome into 11 Person Now, presented by our good friends at Monticello Bank. I'm Nick Roush, joined by, as always, by Adam Luckett. And uh, today we got a special guest. He's the Chancellor of Pate State University. Uh, uh, you can find him Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays at Late Kick with Josh Pate. Josh, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, there's no off season, uh, and so we're just we're happy to, to chat a little, cut up a little bit. Um, I want to start by asking, though, I've heard many times you reference, what, you know, he's Pate State material. So what exactly is Pate State material? That's actually a really, really good question. Um, I probably need to more thoroughly define that. So someone who doesn't go and grasp the low-hanging fruit, if you're in our world, mm-hmm. uh, if, you're in, if you're in an actual on-field role, it's someone who plays the right way, hard-nosed, competitor, doesn't always constantly seek out disrespect, he's internally driven or she's internally driven or motivated, those sorts of things, or you know, like occasionally, if you're like running with the bulls in Pamplona and and you escape unscathed, I would call that paint state material. That squirrel in Yankee Stadium the other night, that squirrel was paint state material. So there's a broad spectrum. I appreciate that. It's very inclusive, Adam Luckett. Yes. So if you're exchanging text messages about a Ball State plus six against Northern Illinois in November, like me and Nick have been known to do, I think that would be considered paint state material potentially. I think without question, I, I would go as far as to say, why would anyone not choose to live their life that way? Yeah, I, uh, I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I, sometimes my wife looks at me and just like, "Are are you an alien?" I said, "No, I just no." I, there's a lot. There's dozens of us. It's a, still off arrested development. Um, Josh, I just want to say, I heard your podcast with Cooper Patagna, and y'all were just, you were kind of explaining your background. And where you came from, and I felt like you were just—it was me talking, because I have a, I have a similar story, I, I guess, with you. And I just want to say, you know, I, like I, I felt that a lot. Just kind of your background, I kind of came about about the same, like doing this what I do now. Like guy five years ago, I wasn't heading down this path, and so I kind of like, just I felt that, and I, I don't know if you want to elaborate that on that a little bit, but you really kind of just you created what you do and you've created a audience you've created a, a big following and i think for people like me not necessarily 
don't want to say it's motivation, but it just like there's other people like me out there that have that have created that, and I think that's really cool. And I think what you see college football internet, there's more people like that. I think coming about, and I think it's creating better conversation. I think it's creating uh, more interest in, in the sport, and it's creating content for people that it's letting them scratch an itch that they've never been, really been able to scratch necessarily before. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Um, that's the exact motivation. Um, it's wonderful to get to do what you do for a living. And if you can elevate and you, you know, I work for CBS Sports now. I never thought that was going to be the case, obviously, when I was working in a fabric warehouse. But in a weird way, like that's not the payoff to me. Having my own show, being able to go on the road every week to any game I want to, that's like a dream world. But it's not the payoff. Um, the payoff is what you just said. The payoff is if I know that there's someone um, nine years younger than me that's in the same place I was nine years ago and they have no clue what they want to do, I, I love that I get to be a part of something that could make them look over in this direction of the professional world and say, oh, there's that thing I could go do. Because once upon a time, like you said, that wasn't there. You better be classically trained, pumped off a journalism school assembly line and working for one of the few major national entities or you don't have a national voice in college football or, or any kind of sport. So it's just it's also a blessing for me that I just happened to come along at the right time because I was I was sort of nurturing that dream simultaneous to people at Facebook or people at YouTube saying, hey, let's let's use these massive platforms we have. Let's put a live streaming component on it. And voila, there goes the Berlin Wall of overhead, the Berlin Wall of distribution. They're torn down and all of a sudden everyone has got access, or at least it's a lot more open playing field. So, I mean, some of that's luck now. You can have all the drive and determination you want. Some of that has to go your way, but it's been it's been such a blessing, dude. I don't have to work. Like, this stuff's not work. It's so, it's so unbelievable. It's beyond what I would have painted as a dream scenario for myself a decade earlier. Well, we're, we're much better off now that you're out of the fabric warehouse and like it's no longer <laughs> – Doing insurance adjusters adjustments. Um, we got other people that can climb on my roof and it says, yeah, the, the, the people in car wrecks are lucky that I'm no longer adjusting as well. So it's a win-win uh, here. One thing you've said often, Josh, there is no off-season. But there is segments to this environment we're in now where the football isn't being played. And right now, we're right smack dab in the middle of list season. This is, this is big time for lists. So um, I need to know after such a big boon for SEC quarterbacks, there's a vacuum. What's your top four SEC quarterbacks going into 2023? And is Devin Leary in that mix of top quarterbacks in the Southeastern Conference? So it's interesting you asked me this right now. So I just recorded something with Cole Kublik that we're going to put on the channel Sunday. And I don't do many interviews on the show, so it was rare in and of itself. But even more rare is we talked about this exact thing. And we were talking about Leary because – I don't think people even are fully aware. I don't, if you polled 100% of SEC fandom, there's a large chunk of SEC fandom that does not know Devin Leary is at Kentucky right now. And they certainly don't know that then they brought in the running back from NC State, except they don't even start to know that. But Leary has been overshadowed because, like, Auburn made late moves and they got Peyton Thorne. And of course, you got the other high profile moves like Graham Mertz and whatnot at Florida. So to answer your question, yes, yes, he and I, Kubelik and I agreed that we would put Leary up there. Uh, Jaden Daniels would be up there. I think Connor Wegman at A&M has the ability to be up there. Ability being the key word. Uh, Carson Beck's an interesting story because we've never seen him start a game. But I have all the confidence in the world that he's going to perform at a high level for Georgia. The one that's the most confusing is Spencer Rattler. I have no clue where to slot him. I have no idea. Like, I think he was severely hamstrung by the offensive coordinator they had there last year that is no longer there and somehow got hired by Nebraska. So you asked Matt Rule about that one. But but I I put Leary there because I remember about this time last year, I went out to L.A. at Elite 11, and Leary was working the event. And uh, Caleb, or, um, yeah, Caleb Williams was there. Bryce Young was there. C.J. Stroud was there. So a lot of the college guys were there. And I stood there and watched Leary throw, like like standing right next to him, talking to him, watching him throw for like 10 minutes. And, it, dude, his arm talent stood out so much. And it just never jumped off the screen to me watching him in NC State. And last year it didn't because you rarely saw that. You saw him running for his life because the offensive line was very subpar. And I just 
that's what I watch with Kentucky. Like, I watch offensive line. I'm sure you guys have talked about that ad nauseum. Mm -hmm. Can he use the tools in that wide receiver room? Will that offensive line allow him to do that? And then you got Liam Cohen coming back in there. But if if he's upright and given time to operate, yes, that's a top-four quarterback in the SEC. Yeah, and I think the Leary thing with Kentucky is, like, Kentucky's got pros at receiver. Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of people realize that. It's just, can you, and they've got an NFL play caller that's got college experience, so it's not the thing last year. You've seen it be done with Liam Cohen before, at least for through a SEC schedule. It's can, can that, can you protect him? That's like the, it's, we've, I, we talked about it nonstop, and it, it just, before you get too deep, I, I just have to ask that question, like, can, well, can they protect him? Because if they can't, then it's kind of all, you'd have to throw everything out the window. But I think that's the big question. I think you bring up Carson Beck. That's a great point. I think he's got maybe some Mac Jones energy there where you think he's, you know, they're going to take a step back and maybe he's even just as good or maybe even better, more, maybe even a better pro prospect than Stetson. Uh, but just from your kind of your big picture view, Josh, just like when someone says Kentucky football, like what is, what, what kind of, what's the first thing that pops to your mind and what's kind of like, the ceiling of you as you view them, this program with Mark Stoops and where they're at, because they've kind of, I think, established a good place in like the middle class of the league right now, which just accomplishing that, I think, is a big deal for them from where they were. But a lot of moving forward is just how high they can get, especially with Oklahoma and Texas coming into the conference yep. here. Next so year. what you what you just said is the key. You got to think forwardly, and you got to think too premier brands coming in that doesn't always mean they're great but they are premier brands so their ceiling is always great lsu ceiling is always great even if they miss a bowl game any given year ditto for texas a&m even though some people don't believe that about a&m so with kentucky i view them as a a consistent middle tier with how should i put this if like if i were watching a heart monitor on them they consistently sit at a certain amount of beats per minute that would put them in, in the upper middle part of the SEC. But then they have that spike every two or three years where they can knock on the door and they're probably not going to end up in Atlanta or anything like that, but they can, be, they can be in the mix in November, which most people don't expect. Uh, they can pull a big upset. They can you know, take like a Georgia to the wire or, or an LSU to the wire any given year. But having said that, the key is – You've got two big dogs about to come in the conference, and this goes back to an, an overarching thing. This isn't even just a Kentucky thing. I'm thinking this about South Carolina, Kentucky, Arkansas, Mississippi State. I've had a lot of fans in my DMs and in my inbox and whatnot that, that keep on talking about that keep on talking about Oklahoma and Texas coming in the SEC, and they keep saying, "Boy, wait, wait till they see what they're in for," and that's all well and good. And I get it if you're a Georgia fan saying that. I get it if you're a Bama fan saying that, but you got to be careful not to cut off your nose to spite your face, so to speak, in that we understand there are about to be 16 rungs on the SEC ladder. Right. And the chances are Oklahoma and Texas are going to be a lot closer to the top than they are to the bottom, which means the mathematics of the situation dictate you got so a bunch of y'all got to bump down a couple of rungs. And the net result is, yeah, there's more money in the conference. None of the three of us end up seeing any of that, so it shouldn't matter to us. But there's more money in the conference. But – the net result is you got a couple of more losable games every three or four years on your schedule. So there's a there's a big trade-off with getting those new names here. And who knows, maybe we're not even done with that. So where I'm thinking, because the way you put it has kind of gone according to plan over the last seven, eight years, where it's like, all right, seven or eight, give or take, and then you have that spike. So is that spike good enough to be in the 12-team playoff? Where if you think pragmatically – Probably three or four SEC teams are getting in every year. Are they good enough to be, uh, you know, Auburn's uh, been of that caliber? Can Kentucky be in that Auburn second, third, fourth? Can they be this close to get at least in to that playoff? Maybe head on the road and go play Ohio State and Columbus in an opening round playoff game. Yeah, so I'm gonna. the answer is yes, and we're going to get a lot of folks scoff at that, but it's only because people are going to classify that yes – in the present terms. And I'm not saying yes in the present 14 term. You're talking about the future. You're talking about 12 teams. So just picture this for a second. Let's say Kentucky goes into any given year and they just get a favorable schedule draw. 
And then they pair that up with striking gold at quarterback in the portal. I'm not saying it has to happen that way, but this is just the lightning in a bottle scenario. Mm-hmm. Workable schedule, uh, biggest games at home, quarterback in the portal. You end up being like plus nine turnovers in a given year. You go f- four and one in one possession games or maybe five and two in one possession games. And you don't go to the SEC championship game. But because the league is so deep, the two teams that went to the SEC championship game are both in the playoff. And therefore, downstream, everybody else looks better as a result of it. Yeah, if we're if we're arguing, let's say, 10 and two Kentucky against 10 and two Oregon State or, or 10 and two TCU. Yeah, absolutely. The SEC team's going to get the nod. Now, that's not going to be sustainable, but we're asking any given year. We're asking about that spike year. Yes, I, I, I think it's not out of the realm of possibility at all that that could happen one day down the road. Yeah, my biggest interest in that is any SEC team goes 9-3, and 6-3. and three, How are they not a top-12 team? Yeah. Like just full stop. And then what is – then what does – how many is too many for the rest, for everybody else when it comes to putting teams in? Like that's the unknown. I don't know. Like it's Like what happens when it's five? What happens when it's six? You know, well, we've it's not seen... just the SEC. See, it's, it's yeah. The right. People outside of the South, people outside of the Midwest, they look at it and they say, "How many SEC Big Ten teams are going to be in there?" Because so right. the real nightmare scenario is what? Not I don't know how the the auto bids tie in and shake out, but like your second round of your playoff, and then especially when you get to the semis and the finals, it is going to have the life choked out of it by SEC and Big Ten programs. And you're going to have a format that so many people looked at as this, this shining beacon on a hill of inclusivity, and that's going to be our shot. And the only shot it's going to be is a shot in the arm of the conferences that are already the richest in the land, and they're going to look at you and, and just kind of shake their head and smile and say, I can't believe you guys fell for this. I can't believe you guys let us do this, but <laughs> here we are. Yeah. Oh, Weight Kick with Josh Pate is where you'll find him Sundays, Tuesdays, Thursdays. We appreciate you joining us. And before we let you go, instead of thinking down the road at 12-team playoff, this fall, who in the SEC is getting propped up too high? They're the flavor of the month. They're everybody's favorite team in the offseason. <coughs> Joe Milton, Tennessee. <coughs> and who is maybe a little underrated that, that could come up and surprise some teams this fall? So I'm, I'm going to – I think you're right with Tennessee in that they have they have that potential to be that because it's all riding on Joe Milton. And really, anybody who anybody who buys into Tennessee, you know what's going to follow up. I like Tennessee if Milton plays like he did in the bowl game. I don't know how many times I've heard that sentence. And you know what? They're right because if he plays like he did in the bowl game, they're going to be right back in the mix to be able to do the same things they did last year. I like it, seeing Joe Milton come in for the last play and throw the football into the stands. Yeah, that's my that's my Joe Milton. <laughs> yes. the The other team that's being slept on, and this doesn't have to be like an SEC division winner, right? It can just be a team that may exceed expectations. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Right. Okay. To me, that's Texas A and M because that's the roster out there that had no mm-hmm. business missing a bowl game. That LSU missed a bowl last game. year. Yeah. Yeah. And then went and, and they beat LSU at the end of the year. Like that potential was always there. So they pushed the obvious button. They went and addressed offensive coordinator. They are so ridiculously loaded still with talent down there. And to be honest, I think they got a lot of negative publicity for a lot of the portal exits. And in reality, I think they may be better off without some some of those kids. I think they took kids just trying to see how many five stars they could possibly accumulate and did not pay one bit of attention to team chemistry, uh, critical factors from the neck up, like what kind of person do we want to bring in here? And it's not the first time that's happened, obviously. But, I mean, if there was a team that was in it in November that we were all saying came out of nowhere, I think it would be A&M because the other one would be Florida, and I, I have a really hard time buying into Florida right now. That's, that schedule's tough. I, and also, the Bobby Petrino effect, we're well acquainted with how that works around these parts. It's great for like a year or two, and then yep. it just spirals uh, c- catastrophically. Yeah, but what, what does it do if he's not like – we all just want to see these sideline exchanges. Like, yes. that's <laughs> – I mean, because that's too old, they gotta hard put them dogs in the booth, over there. Right? I think they have I to. I, I think probably law enforcement may step in. <laughs> the guys with the hats will be separating them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. 
Uh, Josh, thank you so much for joining us on 11 Personnel. It's been a real pleasure. Once again, if you haven't checked out his podcast, one of the best in the business, podcast, YouTube, however you want to put it, you can find him. Late Kick with Josh Pay, 24-7, CBS Sports. It's a pleasure to have you on. And uh, enjoy the not-off season. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm going to do. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Josh. Thank you much. Oh, good time. Uh, a fun conversation there. Also, like having a little bit of optimism there, Luckett, where – uh, I appreciated that the playoff question, we didn't get some sort of um, fluffy answer. We got very much a, like, the ball bounce. Not only does the ball bounce the right way, like, you have turnover margin, you have a good quarterback, the schedule's yeah. right. Because, really, I hate how silly that it may sound at times like it, but some of the times, like USC last year, they needed luck to be as good as they were yeah. when it came to turnover margin and having Caleb Williams be a yeah. Heisman Trophy winner. You know? I mean, there's going to – right now there's like 10 programs that are really competing for playoff spots every year. And then you'll see, like, even Cincinnati and Washington, when they made it, they were in, in that tent. Yeah, TCU was probably the one that kind of came out of left field. But for the most part, it's 10 teams. With the 15, you're really going to have 25 teams that feel like they're going to compete for it every year. And I think Kentucky can get in – that 25 in a good year. Uh, the thing with Kentucky is what you have to shoot for is just go six and three in the league. Schedule right in the non-conference. Go yep. six and three in the league. If you're nine and three, six and three, you know if they don't let you in, you should raise hell because you're you are one of the 12 best teams in college football. If you, if that's what you did, if you go six and three in this league with eight top 10 recruiting operations, with the teams that are most invested in winning. In college football, that is enough to make a 12-team playoff. And if you're not in, you should race hell. But, like, I think Josh brought a good point is, I think, is this good for college football? I don't know. We'll see. Like, the the first rounds are going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we're going to get into this, you know, potential cold weather games later. With uh, Talk about the Big Ten. But, um, but are you, but are you just, did they just, did you close one door and just open more doors? Did you just more, open more problems? <laughs> right, right, right. That's what you have to. Because that is about. the fascinating part is I, I forgot what – is are the Pac-12 and Big 12 still getting automatic bids? Is yeah, as of, right, as of right now, they all – all those five leagues, the Power Five, so you have, get nine, have automatic bids. Yeah. Notre so you, Dame does not get automatic bid, and then the other automatic bid is a highest-rated group of five team. So, so you, you got six have, at largest and you got six uh, autos for so 12. So really, it'll probably be eight SEC and Big Ten teams. If uh, if Notre Dame's well, that's why I'm seeing like how does the math shake out in all of this, yeah, and like yeah. how does <laughs> when you're comparing resumes, mm-hmm. that's where I just I mean I can picture myself just getting uh, hashtag mad online in November when we're when we're discussing this. Well, and part of it too is like you said six and three, nine and three. Everybody's brains are going to have to get reworked into what success right. is. What I've said and, from a long since it started, like since. You go to nine, just like the 2020 team year mm-hmm. should have taught everyone, is just that if you crapped on Kentucky's four and six season, like, you know, it was, that was an eight and four team, guys. Yeah. Like, yeah. like yeah. that team probably goes eight and four, four and four if you play it out. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. They lost a couple 50-50 games, and they had to play Alabama and Georgia, you know, yeah. the same year. Like, But that's what's going to – that's what the it's going to be like. It's just your, your brain's going to have to work different. Well, and then it like, gets into the Louisville conversation, which is something yeah, we, people are going to have to talk about. Bring that up at a later date. I just hope that it, at least that the playoff committee people will – I hope that they have their brains rewired too, knowing that, like, you should put higher stock in those two Super Leagues versus – you know, the second team in the Pac-12. Or, you know, like Clemson goes to the ACC championship game and they're 11-1 and and lose to a bad Florida State. Like, that. that's going to be the, the, the first fun big Just look at the of- ACC and Big Ten championship games last year, Nick. You had Purdue. Yep. Who got absolutely boat raced 
You know, Purdue gets boat raced in bowl games. Like I've never seen teams get boat raced in bowl games. Dude, Auburn that, a couple years ago, and then LSU last year. That was Joey Gatewood like, transfer reminded me of that Auburn game. That yeah. was so bad. And then North Carolina, who was just a sinking ship by the end of the season, was playing Clemson, and then Clemson got smashed by Tennessee in the Orange Bowl. So like, but. Here's the thing. If they upset one of those teams, then it just throws all the math out. And that's what I'm going to be – that's going to happen one year, right? We're going to get one of those crazy yeah. upsets. To me, the, like the fascinating uh, the discussion is these 10-2 and two Pac-12 or Big 12 teams are saying mm-hmm. we should be in the playoff against a 9-3 and three SEC team who went 6-3 and three in the league or the Big 10 team that went 6-3 and three in their league. Like those are the – those is what – that's what's going to get people fired up when yeah. we get into this 12-team era. I'm, I'm already. And for, fired and for up Kentucky, about it. like any any team like Kentucky, you're talking, you're talking Kentucky, you're talking TCU, Arkansas. you're talking North Carolina, you're talking Wisconsin, you're yeah, talking UCLA. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking Washington. Any team that gets to that mark, they're all going to be fighting tooth and nail just for their resumes. And then how the committee kind of goes about who picking who over who. Because I don't think they've really gotten the four teams wrong the entire time. People bitch and complain in November, mm-hmm. which is like it's like bitching and complaining about bracketology in February <laughs> on Groundhog's Day. Like you got to let the season play out. Yeah, um, I love when they get mad at the rankings. It's like, well, they'll play, so like you know, <laughs> yeah. you're gonna, you're gonna yeah, they're still you know we've got seventy, we got sixty five percent of the data points in, so like it's kind of a lot of this is projection, but. But where does like Kentucky fit and all that? It's just going to be. I don't, but it gives me back to what I'm saying. The 12 team, they're going to get it wrong, son, just because it's yeah. no teams. So that's what's going to be fascinating. Because I don't think they've ever gotten the four wrong, but I think they're going to get the, the 12 wrong eventually along the way. And that's seeding that. How that plays out is we'll see. And then what does that lead to? We don't know. I mean, but we're still in the land of the unknown with conference realignment and all that good stuff. You know who doesn't get it wrong either? Monticello Bank. It's where people matter, and that means that they have competitive loans, deposit rates, and a wide variety of customer-focused financial services, which put the numbers on your side of life. 128 years of service. 128 years. You can't be in business that long if you're not doing something right. Go to Monticello Bank, 21 branches, 14 different markets, or you can bank with them with the GoNBC mobile app or visit mbcbank.com Monticello Bank where people matter member FDIC equal housing lender it's not set in stone but we're shooting for uh, mid-June be at a Monticello Bank near you to do the show live so and we, we appreciate getting Josh paid on today basically we're, we're guesting it up throughout the summer until we get to SEC media days uh, excluding that trip to Monticello Bank for a live show we hope you all be able to come out for a little lunch and hang out with us um, one, one, one June afternoon, which it's June like it. We've, I, I, I appreciate, Almost, yeah. I appreciate that May is a slow month, but I, I just love that this, it's, it's seemingly a new news cycle thing where it's just like, we just report official visits and top lists going into it. And there's a ton of them. Uh, I know that that, that was a problem last year where we didn't know. Well, we at least know now. And, there's about a dozen – there's 16, I know, on that first weekend at least, maybe more. And then I want to say a dozen the weekend after it. So things are really coming together. And following Cutter Bowley's commitment, uh, I mean, there was already a ton in line for that weekend. But you're seeing a lot of uh, – the way the way that it's, it's taking shape like it, I feel like you're seeing like, okay, if they can get – this guy, this guy, this guy to pop here. Like, this has the makings of a really solid foundation for a recruiting class moving forward. How are we feeling about Brian Robinson? I, I love that you pointed out that there's picks coming in for a Michigan edge, and that's got me – I feel like Kentucky's been lurking for a while. I got some good intel on Robinson back when everybody was all in on Michigan, and – it was like it's trending the right way, like it to to get a big time pop in the month of June. Yeah, Darian Mayo, DMV Edge, top two fifty player, the top two hundred player, I think. He just got 
some RPMs at on three. He's a heavy Michigan lean at this point. Michigan's got 17 commits, Nick. They're in on like four or five edges. Jacob Smith, Brian Robinson, Dominic Dominic Nichols, I think is his name, and then this Mayo kid, and then Brian Robinson. They're probably going to take two. A lot of it's going to be who just takes the spots. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jacob Smith's brother is in the class. So I would assume he's going to be one. Mayo could be the other one. That could open things up for Kentucky, specifically with Brian Robinson. We'll see how this Nichols recruitment goes. Right. But it just seems like Youngstown, it seems like they're going to get him, I think. He's been to Michigan a lot. We'll see how this goes. But I think he wants to announce this summer he's going to be a mid-year enrollee. Position to need. It's one yeah. they need to wrap up here June 9th when he's here with Bowley and a bunch of other guys. Like that, he's got my the top of my attention right now. Uh, I think that's maybe the biggest recruit on Kentucky's board, just because they're so close. You just got to finish him off and close him. It would be a big kid in Ohio to get and to get the ball rolling. And so that's one I think to watch closely here. Mm-hmm. We'll be watching very closely. We won't be there for the official visits. Um, We're not that be, tight in. <laughs> no, no. But uh, we will be there when they're camp. They won't be camping, but Kentucky's hosting camps at the time. A lot of times guys are on their visits. They come to hang out, see the other ones. Uh, I remember one year, and hell, I don't even know if he made it to campus or not, but I remember Torrance Davis showing up to camp being like, yeah, I just committed. (laughs) Like, (laughs) what? So that was, yeah. So who knows? Maybe Brian Robinson shows up and says, hey, just committed. That would be a lot of fun. Um, but I do think, like, if you just kind of look at the map, the biggest surprise, I think, my biggest surprise takeaway is just how widespread some of these are. Not necessarily the positions, but, like, there's a receiver from Philly that's kicking things off. You've got guys from Connecticut, you know. Uh, the Brad, the, the coordinator effect, uh, where Liam Cohen and Brad White have kind of taken some of this upon themselves you know they're trying to get that running back from atlanta up here for an official visit uh, i know brad's got the um the the linebacker from uh north carolina that's going to be officially yeah, visiting. yeah so like it feels like there's a lot of uh, uh recruiting from different you know not the same geographical hotbeds and that works if you can get those guys to actually if you can land the plane that that's really what a lot of this boils down to is that if you're going to recruit well in Kentucky, you do the state of Kentucky well. You, you get who you need to there. You do Ohio well. You, you do the six-hour radius thing. But then you get a few future starters from outside those areas. And mm-hmm. that's – at least they're they're on the board. They're visiting. It's just laying in that place. <laughs> yeah, and then you got those Glenville guys. Fred Johnson, Marion Witten. And then the running back, Deshante Jones. So you got all three of those guys. You know, Glenville is some place they've recruited a lot, Nick. Haven't had a ton of success. You've got to worry about Ohio State just kind of <laughs> lurking there. senior, man. Right. But, Bri- I mean, Bryce West isn't coming, and he's like a top 100 corner, so at least they're not totally just <laughs> handing out free passes. Right, right. It is a little different just because they have the unlimited official visit rule now. I know not every kid is – going to do that and they're not you know schools have their own they still have a limit but it does feel like kids are much more eager to use those official visits knowing that they aren't restricted if they want to take a couple more right uh the other yes the the other one i wanted to mention too that feels very uh we'll put him on commit watch even for recording next week willie rodriguez Uh, Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i just saw him on the list, and yeah, he just not got ranked, Nick. Uh, mm-hmm. Not a super high ranking, but that's a guy to watch on on a potential rankings grower. Like Especially I could see him climbing up if he does. I don't know if he's going to do a bunch of camps or anything like that. But like, there's, I mean, he had a growth spurt. That's part of the reason why Kentucky's so intrigued by him is because he went from being a six foot tight end to a six foot four tight end. That's a significant right. difference. And uh, maybe there's a little caddis effect here. Too. Uh, that's big words you're throwing around. 
<laughs> be careful there. But you know, I, I from the same area though, North yeah. Kentucky, Cincinnati, pretty so much same. I, even even if he doesn't have that ratings bump, I'm going to trust Vince to to find tight ends that fit, even if they aren't the highest ranked recruits. Yeah, it's just a position they've been able to target and find fits, and you know that's why I, when Gavin Grover committed to Cincinnati, I said on Kessboard, join now, ten bucks a month, or just ten bucks total through August. Yeah, um, which it, just don't worry about that because they they've got a lot of options here, like a lot of good options. You look at Demarion Witten, look at Willie Rodriguez, like they're going to get their guys at tight end. Do not worry about that. I don't. I don't mean to do the shameless plug, but like this weekend, Jacob Polachek's going to be at the EYBL in Memphis. He's going to have a ton of stuff coming from that, and then we're going to be at camps. Jacob's going to be at all of them. We'll have updates on the boards. Um, so if you really like getting into the nitty gritty of recruiting, this is the time. Like you've been waiting. Like all right, I want to dive. Just do it now. Just do it now. Uh, yeah. Uh, you had something. This we, we we took turns filling out depth charts. You had kind of a takeaways from that on KSR Plus. And the hardest part of my depth chart completion process is the secondary because, A, Brad White can do a lot of deck shuffling at safety which between Jordan Lovett, Zion Childress, and uh, Jalen Geiger. Like, you have three starters there. How are you going to put them? How are you going to split up reps? Is Geiger going to slide up to nickel? And, like, that's, like, the fun depth chart stuff where it's like, you know what, I'm just going to – those are your three guys. They're playing those two spots. Don't worry about it. Corner is the one where it's just – it feels like they're going to be throwing a lot against the wall during fall camp and just seeing what sticks. Not even fall camp, I think, those first three weeks. Then you go back to last year, Andrew Phillips opened as the, the starter. Like, he was a starter over – like, in the in – the, one fall camp practice we got to go to, he was, you know, Mark Stoops undressed Keedron Smith a couple times uh, for grabbing and holding. And, like, yeah. Phillips was the starter. Like, yeah. I left that practice thinking, well, he's the starter. You know, we'll see where Keedron Smith fits in. And then Smith became quickly became the starter and was rock solid all season. So maybe, maybe that's a thing with transfer cornerbacks, too, where there's a very high bar. You've got to do mm-hmm. things a certain way in our program. And then – once they figure it out, then you can kind of re, you know, you can land the plane again. I'm going to keep using that cliche. Let's just title this podcast "Land the Plane." <laughs> yeah, but I think <laughs> here's where I'm at with the cornerback position. I think Geiger can play nickel, and that's going to be a way to play all them three safeties a lot, unless an injury happens. You can just plug him in at nickel. You know, he can kind of alternate there with Afari, depending on. The down, and then you can have a rotation between Lovett, Childress, Geiger, whatever. That's a way to get them on the field. You solve one cornerback position by just having Andrew Phillips. Like mm-hmm. this is it. We're going to ask you to probably play seven hundred plus snaps this year. You're a guy. Lock it in. Now you got to find the other cornerback. And in the spring, it was mainly Maxwell Harrison and J.Q. Hardaway. And then Jordan Robinson and Jansen Dunn were kind of getting worked in there a little bit. I think it's probably going to come down to Harrison and Hardaway and just who can win that job. I think I'm getting kind of the feel that they're very intrigued by Harrison because of his ball skills and yeah, co- yeah. coverage and phase ability. Yeah. But he doesn't have the, the measurements that they, they typically want to that see they there. they want, and, yeah. And, and can he – it's almost like you'd rather have Phillips at the boundary, even though he hasn't done it as much, because he can get. He's not afraid to get his nose dirty, right? He's a very physical player out on the edge. Yeah, typically you're going to want your best cover guy in the boundary because you're lining up against the team's best. Typically, you're lining up against the X receiver, team's best receiver. So you want your best guy over there. Um, typically, they've you know we've seen them want more size. But if you got a if your corner tandem is Maxwell Harrison and Andrew Phillips, that's very small at yeah. cornerback. Yeah. And then at nickel, you're not very you know when Afari's out of the game, you're not very big. That's you're small, you know, and they don't want to be small. Right. They want to. You talk to Brad White. You know, our defense is all about being physical and length, and we want to clog zones. And that you can't really do that if you're that yeah. small at corner. That's what point. That's why I've said J.Q. Hardaway. Just he's just 
we go back to when he committed, he was just he's the perfect kind of fit of what they need. If they were going to make a cornerback in a lab, he would look like that. 6'1", 6'2", got a long wingspan, 200 pounds. He just looks the part. So I think it's eventually going to be him. But I do think they are more intrigued with Harrison well, because of the ball skills. And then I think maybe they could, if they play, if they got him and Phillips together, I could see them playing more cover one, more man, just because they like the coverage potential of both those guys. I mean, Carrington Valentine would be pissed. It's like, I've been trying to get him to play man for years. I'll leave early. Yeah. And then well, I man, mean, they but... gave Carrington 20. They played more man last year than they yeah. had in the past. Well, Sometimes do... to their own detriment, the Vanderbilt game. Yeah. He got torqued, but Carrington got, you know, burned a couple times, and it really kind of cost them the game. But they had to play man because they couldn't stop Mike Wright. They had to get an extra hat in the box. The the part that I I lost my train of thought with, the – I don't want to say the the liability factor, but I I do just go back to that that, that physicality. And I also – think that cornerback is a position that you should be able to rotate frequently because they're running a lot. But at the same time, you kind of got to have a feel. You got to get kind of – it's not like you need a quarterback in and they have to have that sort of – but, but you know, you got to let them cook a little bit, right? Like if you're pulling uh-huh. somebody after one or two plays, then they're not getting in the rhythm. They don't pick up on the nuances of who they're playing. Like it very much is a rhythm shooting type position, if you will. And so – that's where I, I do think that they might like you kind of got to ride with who you're going to ride yeah. with mm-hmm. at least early on in the season. Maybe maybe they do the, the the Jim Harbaugh in these early games, and he's just like my quarterback starting this game and this game. Maybe they do that with the cornerbacks in those those first two games of the year, and just to yeah. see who gives the best. Well, yeah, game. that's what I think is going to happen. Yeah. Well, then you got to figure it out by the time you go to Vandy because Vandy sneakily Nick has got yeah. a legit kind of SEC receiving trio. Yeah, Shepard's we'll really see. good. They, yeah, Shepard's they, good. Uh, Skinner can make some plays vertically, and then Jaden McGowan was good as a true freshman last year in the slot. He's coming back, and Swan had had some moments. Like if they're and that's going to be a big game for them, and yeah. so they're going to throw it around against you, and that's really what that game's going to come down to is they Kentucky gotta, secondary. Clark Lee had a nice uh, portal pickup with Prince Kali. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's really good. But to me, like the Hairston-Hardaway dynamic, too, I think a lot of this is the Tennessee factor. So you can do what you want against Tennessee. If you, I mean, a, bit, a lot of it's running with them in grass because of how they stretch the field. Yeah. And so you got to have guys that can run and cover. And I think Kentucky, the wild card in that game this year, Tennessee max protects, and they want run the deep choice routes. They max protect because they need time for those deep choice routes to develop. Mm-hmm. The way you beat that deep that <laughs> that that attack is if you've got war daddies that can cause havoc up front. Kentucky thinks they have one. Deion Walker. Like that's how you beat them. And Kentucky has depth on the defensive line. I think a thing that people are sleeping on is that Nick like this defensive line is legit. Like my worry with the cornerback is he could look like what 2021 looked like. Yeah, got out of Defensive line yeah. worn down. The defensive line got worn down. They didn't have any corners that could cover, and they just got torched by good passing offenses. Where I think they're going to be saved this year is they're going to have a legit defensive line that could do some things. And, like, like Trevin Ripka and Octavius Oxendine are not going to start for this team, I don't think, potentially. And that's never really happened in Kentucky football history. Like, to have two guys like that is in a rotation. Mm-hmm. And then Keyshawn Silvers in the ultimate wild card. If you can get anything out of Kendrick Gilbert, Tavian Gadsden, Darian Henry Younger, Salmonelli, any I'm just talking about one. If you get yeah. one of those four can come in and be a rotation player for you, then you become 10 deep on the defensive line. And so, potentially. I mean, that's that's kind of where they are right now. I think that defensive line's gonna be got a chance to be really stinking good, and then you throw Keaton Wade or maybe Tyrese Fearbury as a situational rusher yeah, in there. Yeah. Like that front, it's got a chance to like because when you play a cover three heavy defense like Kentucky does, it, when you play a front, it's really all about like can you rush the passer? Can you affect uh, the pocket? Right? Can I you mean, force some, can your front can the four you the four you're bringing can they can, can they affect the pocket of it consistently? Because if they can, 
then you're a bear to deal with. Uh, and that that's kind of what Kentucky's been missing is just that pass rushing. If they can get it this year, which defensive line rotation is going to help a lot, but they got the star to build around, which they really haven't had with Walker. And you brought up a good point in your depth chart post about how, like, I'm putting Deion Walker here, but he's going to play all over. He's everywhere, yeah, yeah. Especially, you know, like, th- that's what makes it a lot of fun if you're Brad White. Like, the, he has a lot of versatility. He And he's got experience, guys, right? Like, it's a pretty old defense. And so, he yeah. even admitted in the spring, like, he was able to do more. Right. And, that could be coach speak or that could be telling us something. Yeah, yeah. And he's usually pretty open. So, I, I, I tend to believe what he says. The numbers back it up, too. Bill Connolly updated SP Plus, and UK had the fifth-ranked defense going into this 2023 season. So there's a lot of reasons to be excited. Lucky, you had the offensive duties. I'm intrigued by. I'm intrigued by how they're going to split up, split up personnel groupings. Like if I could give Liam Cohen some truth serum, who's he going to prioritize? With like, is it going to be two running back sets? Is it going to be three receivers? Is it going to be two tight ends? Like. Who's going to get the preference here? Because you you could any of them can be like, you've got enough depth at all of them. Hell, they got six running backs in that room. You know, like they've got plenty of guys that can do a lot of different things at Se- every single spot. Times. Yeah. So like, how are you going to get who who's going to get the utmost priority, right? In all that group, is it going to be the tight ends? Is it going to be Caddis and Dingle and Bates in there, or is it going to be playing more? I, I tend to think it's going to be the tight ends, just from a protection standpoint you add, add some bodies in there and like keep leary safe at all costs necessary but i'm that's what i'm most fascinated about because they've got a lot of people to work with there that you feel like can give you something yeah uh, the pieces like what does the running back kind of rotation look like i'm really not worried about it uh, because I, a lot of these guys i would if i were tearing players i would tear them kind of the same Mm-hmm. Hopefully, Wilcox can give you some juice. That would be nice, especially if you could. Card. Yeah. But I, th- my thing is like some someone in that room is going to have fresh legs in November, and that is going to be maybe the one that kind of surprises us. Maybe ends up leading the team in rushing just because you're just going to have. Fre- it could be like Ramon Jefferson. Like if he starts yeah. slow and then like he finally gets his sea legs and then he's just got fresh. Legs in November, and you look up, and oh, Ramon Jefferson ran for 137 yards here at Mississippi State on 18 carries. Didn't see that coming. Or he's maybe playing some more tired defenses as the season progresses. But I think we're just going to see a rotation there. You're going to go with a hot hand. Uh, you you brought out some two back stuff that Lincoln Riley did. You, you put in that post. Mm-hmm. Um, you go back to the LSU game, 2021. They did two back stuff. I mean, he hit Tom McLean on a wheel route on a yep. out of a two back for, formation. You're going to see that stuff, uh, but to me, a lot of that, Nick, is going to be kind of red zone, third down, and maybe creating kind of gadget-type plays, like situational stuff. But I don't think you're going to – like, it's not going to be the yeah, base of your offense. Base. But it can be yeah. – but it can be an, it can be a, a counterpunch to when you're in the red zone and you're just not going to be able to barrel, barrel it down in there for six. When you're at first right, and ten right. at the twelve, you can't just run it with Rodriguez four times. Like that's not an option anymore. And so, being more creative in that that type, I think it gives Cohen some more flexibility and freedom as a play caller. Um, to me, we know what this season's about. We talked about it with Pate. It's about protecting. Yeah. Um, but they have legit options on that offensive line, and even if there's an injury or two, I don't want to hear that. You know, we can't. We just ain't got nothing. <laughs> like they have, like they have the pieces to play competent football. At left tackle, they got Marcus Cox, who's played a ton. If something happens to him, you can slide Cortland Ford over. At left tackle, at left guard, Kenneth Horsey is there. Ben Chrisman played left guard at Ohio State. He can slide in at left guard. You've got Horsey. If you don't want to play flag set tackle, he's got experience playing left tackle and right tackle in the SEC. You can use him. And then you got Chrisman or Tanner Balls right behind him at guard. Jagger Burton's at center. If it doesn't work out for Jagger at center, something happens. You got Eli Cox, who's played center in the SEC. Right. You know, Eli Cox, right guard. We just talked about it. You got Bowles and Chrisman potentially at guards there. And then you got Cortland Ford at right tackle. If it doesn't work out for, if something went bad with him, you got Horsey to potentially play right tackle. You got Flax to play right tackle. 
you just got flexibility. And you got Chrisman, I think, is maybe going to be an option at right tackle. Then they're going to maybe see what he has, I think, of fall camp. You've got built-in options. You've got a lot of experience with this group. It just needs to – you need to be – like, we need to see some good moments from this offensive line. It just – I don't want to look up and they're ranking 118th in sack rate again. You know, <laughs> they're giving up, you know, 20-something percent pressure rates. Like, they should be good, and they, Kentucky should be able to do some good things. Like, they've done enough for your roster building, I think, with four transfers and then the guys they have back. Like, it should be some level of competent to above competent this season. Like, and that's the whole season. I think they've done a good job of giving themselves options. And, like, Zach Enzer, a lot of pressure is on him. He needs to make it work and it needs to be better this year because they got, I think, the tools now. And then you get into the receiver room. I mean, if you're able to fix the protection, then the season really is just like, can your stars be star? Like, the stars got to be the stars, and the stars are 13, 6, and 2. Well, like Devin, and, Larry, Dan Key, Barry, and Brown. The, and I think a lot of it comes down to just making sure the the trajectory continues upward, right? Like this is yeah. You you we saw the raw talent. Now develop that raw talent. Help them take the next step because uh, nobody wants to say sophomore slump, but like you know they're not going to be a secret anymore. Teams they're 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 going to key on them. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that, I mean, yeah, a lot is ratted on them, right? About yeah. them, you made a good point about the trajectory um, because they've got the quarterback who's going to be able, like we talked about, Larry. It's accuracy, processing, getting the ball out quick. He's going to be able to do that, and he can throw go routes. And so, there's Finish a lot him. to like. Right. He's going to give you like, the ball. They just got to get open and got to well, make things happen. And they've got to scheme them open too. As much as we love watching Barry on Brown and Dan Key make plays, like. I uh, I forget was it the Georgia game where Barian dropped? I mean he was awesome that game but he had a big drop on a go ball. Is either that or Vandy? Like there's been there were some balls that were there that were just big plays that got dropped and you're like, well those okay, balls like I don't think it was a Georgia game but the bowl game essentially like I was got good corners but he was like Destin okay. White gave him a chance a couple times and he was hand fighting a little bit. Yeah he got in his own head there he was trying to do too much at, at home. Um, uh-huh. But there was, I, I can't, I can't remember. It was on the far sideline from the press box, going towards the left end zone. There was a go ball there that would have been a huge play, and it might, hell, it might have been the Vanderbilt game. Um, Maybe but that sounds about right. Ne- nevertheless, though, the, you you kind of get what I'm saying. Like these guys are good, but we need to see them continue to improve. Um, we need to see Georgia Barry and Brown, Ole Miss Barry and Brown, yeah, more well, than twice. We need to see it like six, seven, eight times. Exactly. Yeah. That. Because they did do a good job of kind of when one wasn't playing as good, the other one rose to the occasion. Like, you pretty much had one of them playing at a high level in every single game. But you need to have that, like you said, six to eight times a piece in a couple of those games. They're both just badasses. Uh, sprinkling the tight end there, some Tavian Robinson stuff. There's, it's a recipe for success. And yeah, because, I mean, Barry and Brown's explosiveness, he's going to, like, win Kentucky a game this year. Hot take, luck it. Like, he almost won him the Ole Miss game. Like I said, yeah, he essentially yeah. almost won that game. Hit him and the defense almost yep. won that game. By himself. If he doesn't hurt his ankle there early in the game, I don't think he probably gets caught on one or two of those. Hmm. Or he gets a lot closer on that last one. Uh, that He almost won that, that game. You know, he, I think there's going to be a game this year he's probably going to win for him where he just – he turns something out of nothing, and that Kentucky gets a seventy-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter that just flips the game, that flips a one, like a close game and wins the game for them. But there's going to be probably, you know, you're going to have to ride the roller coaster with him at some points, where sometimes he might he might have a couple drops and he might hurt you there. But that's why you need to have built-in options and built-in answers, and they've got some of that with the tight end, with the running back. I think that just raises their floor so. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. 
the, if somebody takes the receivers out of the game or they're hurting, they have other ways, I think, to hurt the defense. And I think maybe Jordan Dingle's someone we're sleeping on a lot. Even Tavian Robinson a little bit. Like, this time last year we were talking about him like he was going to be a fourth-ish round pick. Yeah. And now he's just a forgotten man, you know. And then what if Dekel Groudis can be a deep threat for you over the top when you've got, you know, Barion and Dame running underneath. You know, you can sneak him behind a safety. So they just got wet weapons there. It's, now it's going to be on Cohen to just, you know, he's got to scheme it up and call some ball plays. But the real important thing to me is just they've got O-line. They've got a five, but then they've got, I think, backup options. My biggest concern was they would have, they would probably have a five that they believe in, but what if an injury happened? I think now if an injury happened, they could be okay. Um, they've got options. And so that that is really good to see from where I'm sitting. Let's make it work. Let's make it work. Um I'm not sleeping on Jordan Dingle, by the way, just to let you know. Um, yeah, you he's know, just not something what we talk about a lot. I, I don't I, think really anybody is. Yeah. He just kind of – he just gets forgotten about. Yeah, yeah. He's like the fourth guy you talk about, fifth, maybe, yeah. when you're doing – you're going through the weapons. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't you, be surprised if we look up in November and he's third on the team in targets. It's just like, oh, Jordan Dingle's like really getting some work here. You mentioned having some options, though, because Kentucky's got plenty of options. Uh, Michigan State, they had to use – some options they probably didn't want to use. They're giving up a home game to play at Ford Field. Final home game of the year, too, if I'm not mistaken. Senior day, yeah. Is it against Penn State? Mm-hmm. Now, can you explain how this happened? Because I I just saw it from the outset, and I'm like, well, it's not the worst thing in the world. Like, how I, I guess Detroit isn't as close as, you know, for Michigan State as, as it is for Michigan. But, you know, like – it's not the first time I'm sure they played a neutral site game there, but how did this come to be? Why, and how pissed off is Mel Tucker? So as we're sitting right now in May, like Kevin Warren is the worst commissioner we've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, major college Boy, disaster. Tried to cancel the college football season. Uh, he brought. <laughs> I mean, if UCSC and UCLA works, that'll be the one good thing he did. But everything else is basically a disaster. Like, the Big Ten was not going to bring him back. Like, he was going to be gone. Like, that's part of the reason he left was because he was going to get probably, you know, graciously fired. Uh, or they would say it's something else. But yeah. long story short here, he signed – like, the Big Ten, they, they, have, they go to the open market and they're shopping their media rights. They want to get away from ESPN because ESPN's in bed with SEC. Everyone mm-hmm. knows this. So they're going to Fox – and they're going to NBC, and they go to CBS, and they sign this mon- monster deal. It gets reported, it gets celebrated. CBS plays the SEC music with, <laughs> with Brian with Iowa punting the ball, and it's just yep. a, a glorious, you know, scene Biggest for us. Win in, ever. Right. For us in SEC country, it was just like we were vomiting. We felt like we were choking on che- our own puke, like we could been cheated on or something, because <laughs> they stole our jingle. Um, so anyway, that happens, but like. Fox, like, owns the Big Ten Championship game or something weird. Owns 60% of the stock. So, that like, they're supposed to get a certain amount of the games they want. NBC was not aware of this. NBC signs this deal. And then the NBC, you know, NBC goes out and they, like, they hire Todd Blackledge. Yep. And, like, they make a big deal. So, they're going to have, you know, some big double headers with Notre Dame in the Big Ten. Like, NBC is going to be a channel you're going to watch and they're going to get they're going to be some, like five or six games a year on Peacock. So you're going to get, like, Indiana Northwestern on Peacock. Uh, but what happened was he sold NBC. He, part of the agreement, NBC was supposed to get, like, the Big Ten Championship game in 2026. He doesn't own that. A big Fox already owns that. So there's this huge mess, and then... The funny part in all of this is Pete Thamel and ESPN are the ones reporting it. Like, who is ESPN's big competition now, Nick, in college oh, football? Right. So, so your enemy is sitting there, yeah, like, bringing the hammer out and making this public. Uh, so, anyway, they're making concessions pretty much for NBC. And what, what that is is, like, they're giving them this Black Friday game. But another another weird thing with the Big Ten is Warren sold these night games. I did not know, I didn't know this. After the first Saturday in September, the Big Ten didn't play any night games. It was only during the afternoon. It was like a league rule. 
Really? Yeah. I, I, I you know, I, I felt that because, you know, you re, it's big noon Saturday, right? But, like, I just assumed that... It just, to me, it felt like a thing, like, they they didn't have lights or something. So, it was just, like, a 1970s rule. Like, oh, we just got to play here in November. We can't afford the lighting bill or something. Like, yeah, because the, the Penn State whiteout was after, you know... That it was, it was always game. in October, right. But they moved it up for the Auburn game, if I'm not mistaken. They played that game at night. Yeah, that was in, in September. Early September, yeah. But they would usually play Ohio State in October or Michigan yeah. in October, and that's just when. That just so they that was a big so they didn't know like so now they're having to play some night games like on November thirteenth, Ohio State's playing Michigan State. That game's going to be on NBC. Penn State is playing Michigan State now. That game's but I think part of the deal was Penn State didn't want to go to East Lansing and play it cold in the night at night. So they said, we'll do this, but we want to play in a neutral. And so they're going to Ford Field uh, in Detroit. And so it's a big mess. So, like, he sold all this stuff. And now their new GM, or their new cha- or GM chancellor, their new commissioner, is having to kind of fix this and close all these deals. And it's a, they're a mess right now with that. It's not like they're going to figure it out. But a lot of, to me, like, my big takeaway was, man, they had a lot of, like, fake tough guy energy. Because with this playoff, was go, oh, yeah, you mean LSU's got to come play at Randall Stadium? Like, their fans were, you know, you know, puffing their chest out and sticking their chest out and saying, oh, yeah, we're going to play in the cold weather when they're not even wanting to play in the cold weather. Like, because <laughs> they want to play these day games in November. Right, right. And there's some, like, for Ohio State, there's rumors about, like, they might, if they hosted a playoff game, they will try to play it in Lucas Oil, potentially. Because they want to play on a fast track. I um, which is I why do, they can't beat Michigan right now because Harbaugh gets them in the cold and just takes two by four and hits them across the face with it. Makes them play man ball. I also thought too that there might be something with that Black Friday game where you've already got Iowa, Nebraska, um, you know, slotted in there for during yeah, the day. So I didn't. But know I had that. no idea they didn't play night games after November fifth or whatever. That was news well, to me. And th- and that's that's going to be the new part with NBC is NBC is just. Like the third game, and it's going to be a nighttime game, competing against the SEC's either first or second one, if I'm not mistaken, because they're mm-hmm. they're just going to make eight eight o'clock ABC their big one. But right? all, but they want like in what NBC found out was they were going to get like Garden. Illinois Purdue, yeah, yeah, you know, tier three type games, Penn State, Rutgers, like stuff that they weren't like you know. They, they're signing up because they want the brands. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I'll watch it. Right, right, right. But uh, I love, too, that they thought J.J. Uh, Watt. I, I heard they're trying to get J.J. Watt for their NBC pregame show. And I just love how much they, like, these networks invest. Like, you get one game on Amazon on Thursday nights, and they've got a five-person pregame show crew, right? Like, they, they, when they get one game, by God, they're going all in. And yeah. I also love just how triggered folks are getting flexing, potentially flexing a Thursday night game a month out in advance. It's like, chill out, everybody. We've you been know? doing this in college for 10 years now. Yeah, like it's not – it's a month in advance. You, you really you don't mess your schedule up that much. Um, but TV, and the, like there, it makes the world turn, and that's what the Big Ten signed up for, right? Yeah. They wanted I get to, it. They wanted I get- to – use competition to get the best prices from all of these different networks and it was universally praised but there's going to be some some headbutting in route i do get the complaint for moving days out because like if you want to hit if you want to go to the game like if like last year the cowboys played in nashville and a bunch of cowboys fans went made a made a trip out of it in nashville yeah, right so you got to take off work and plan that you know you got to you need more than a month. Most people need more than a month of advance to do that. So I do – or if you want to go – if you're a season ticket holder, you maybe probably going to want to ask work off Friday. Yeah. You know? Um, or maybe even Thursday so you can tailgate or, do you know, do whatever you do at an NFL game. And so that that does – I get that makes it harder on the fans. But uh, Big Ten, you can suck it. Um I've enjoyed this conversation, though, today, Lockett. You know, sometimes we get in the middle of May, and you're like, hey, what are we going to talk about? And then an hour flies by just like that. Uh, but we appreciate you all joining us. Appreciate you all subscribing. 
Uh, hope you all Thank have a, a nice Memorial Day late weekend. Lucky, are you a late guy, pool guy? Is there um, how how's this gonna go? You got baby in the summer too, so how's that? How's that gonna work out? We can can you float all day with with, <laughs> with, with old Baker around? I don't know why we don't we have zero plans, and after the month we've had. I think we're just fine with that this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Just hanging around the house. And we've got a busy June. Um, got a couple of trips planned, so oh. lay low until that until that, until that happens. And once those are over, once we get back from 4th of July, then it's wheelhouse like season, baby. Donkey Kong, yeah. yeah. Yep, it certainly is. I hope everybody doesn't get sunburnt this weekend. Hope you uh, maybe enjoy some watermelon. That's always a great, great treat. Maybe some cold beers. Um, uh, in in a hot dog too, because I got out of the hot dog game for too long. I mentioned that earlier. Then kids get older, and you're like, man, hot dogs, great tube of meat. This is this is wonderful. So <laughs> smoking like a true South Ender. Hope, hope you enjoy a tube of meat. Maybe fold around above ground pool. Poke, get a stick, poke at a fire, or who knows, just watch a movie. There ain't a whole lot of sports going on. But we'll be back here next week with another guest. Who will it be? I don't know. Thursday afternoon, find us right here on the KSR YouTube channel. For Adam Luckett, I'm Nick Roush. This has been 11 Personnel. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.